2: And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network Thank you so much for checking out this episode If it's your first time here uh, you can uh, you can actually subscribe and keep up with all of your favorite artists discover some new ones from time to time Even know, just know what's happening in the music world uh, You can find us of course at all the major hotspots: iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube and if you subscribe, you get three interviews a week, one Monday, Wednesday Wednesday and Friday delivered straight to your preferred listening device. I'm Kyle Meredith and today I'm going to be talking with my buddy Ani DeFranco. This time she is part of a project called the Prison Music Project uh, where her and Zoe Bookbinder got together. In fact, uh, it was Zoe who kind of spearheaded the whole thing, uh, went into a prison and, and was doing some, uh, some music classes, music therapy with uh, the incarcerated there and ended up coming out with a whole lot of songs. Uh, which they then took back and recorded with other artists for an album called Long Time Gone. Ani's going to tell us about how the whole thing came to be in collaborating with Zoe and the folks in the prison. Of course, with this, we're going to be talking politics, politics of a prison system, of a broken prison system, of a longtime broken prison system, as well as Ani's views on capital punishment uh, and, and citizen journalism. You know, that's something that we've especially seen plenty of in 2020 taking off. We'll also discuss the uh, November elections, her hopes for Joe Biden, of course, the importance of voting, 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 voting. And Ani's going to tell us about uh, the next part of the Prison Music Project, which uh, it looks to be a stage play. She'll have the rest of the details. Let's jump into this, discussing the Prison Music Project album called Long Time Gone. It's Kyle Meredith with Ani DeFranco.
1: Hey, good to see you, too. Good to see anybody. Good, Good, well... That's that's sort of
2: the uh that's sort of the thing Even these in days.
1: 2D. You look good in 2D, pal.
2: <laughs> like of course, it, it's interesting that anyone's releasing music uh during all of this. Uh you're part of a project called the Prison Music Project that's not only timely, um I guess for what might have been going on anyways, because we're talking about the prison system here. But this ends up being like extra timely as we are in an election season and what's been going on on the streets of America all across the world. Uh, I thought we'd start out with the obvious broad question here. But the Prison Music Project, what is this, and how did you get involved?
1: Yeah, yeah, crazy. uh, You know, confluence of timing for us, especially because the Prison Music Project and this album, long, long time gone, has been ten years in the making. So so crazy that it was finally ready to be born into this particular moment but apropos as you say you know i feel blessed to be in the flow of what's happening with this work it's so it started 10 years ago my friend zoe bookbinder um was going into new folsom prison out in california um doing you know performances Uh, You know, starting with one performance, thought they were going to go in there for an afternoon, have a very fascinating experience and go on with their life, you know. Um, But Zoe, when they went into prison, was deeply affected by what they saw, the people they met, Um, continued to go into New Folsom for about five years And, you know, performances quickly turn into workshops and just dialoguing, you know, because people in prison so often are really starved for all things human, you know, to be able to communicate uh, themselves and tell their own stories and and have, you know, some affirmation uh, of their humanity and their experiences and all of the sides of themselves other than criminal or perpetrator um, that exists. So Zoe found themselves collaborating with incarcerated uh, men that she met there at New Folsom and over a few years sort of built up this pile of songs, raps, poems, you know, um, that were collaboratively created uh, by Zoe and, and the incarcerated people who attended her workshops. So she came to me with this pile of songs and said, Ani, I want to make this into a record. And you're the guy, I just know it. And I listened to the material and it was just incredible. And so we embarked on another five year process of like roping in a bunch of singers, players, producers, most of whom worked for free uh, as Zoe and I did. Um, and uh, yeah, we we made a record, we made a record with the only intention being really just to, just to show the outside world, the greater world, uh, who may not have any loved ones in prison, who may not have a direct connection with the justice system, with, you know, whose lives have not been directly affected, that you know, the two million people that are in prison in the United States are people and just really that that's sort of that's sort of at the core of it is to just reach you know the greater uh, mind and heart of america and say wow you know there's there's this thing that's happening uh that is easy to not be aware of again if it doesn't directly affect your family and friends but it's a human rights crisis and um we just want to show that there are many people living in prison who have a lot to offer this world and whose lives matter as well.
2: And the songs are so good, you know, every mm-hmm. single time. I mean, that's the thing that jumps out because when you hear what the project is, you know, my, I, I will admit my first thought was, oh, we have some amateur songwriters here and what's, what's this going to be? And that's just not the case. Like everything here is really good. There, there's a quote it's on the press sheet, the one sheet that says they are not bad people, they are hurt people. And I thought that was really important, too, because it, it, as you're saying, what we know about the prison system, especially when we don't have anyone inside, is, is usually biased in some way, even if it's unintentional. And I'll use another line that I read from that press release that says, you know, the, uh, the prison system has been in place to entrench poverty and perpetuate racial inequality. And that's the big deal there because there, as we hear now, there are so many people that are in the prison system for things that you shouldn't be in prison for. And, you know, before you got into this, you've been an activist uh, all, all of your career. Did you know much, was this a big subject that you were that you had dove into before?
1: Yeah, it's kind of been a part of my journey from the beginning. I, uh, when I was very young, I discerned like you know, sort of teenager early twenties. I realized that I am against the death penalty, you know um, it occurred to me that killing even by even state sanctioned killing, you know i'm i'm a I'm a pacifist. I don't think war is the answer. I don't think capital punishment is the answer. I think murder you know, comes in many forms Um, and that, you know, the state, you know, an execution, basically what I learned, you know, as I started to get to know people who do anti-death penalty work and such, you know, that, that the state killing somebody is not the end of a cycle of violence, you know, it's the continuation of it and an execution, reverberates out its trauma through families through communities just like any killing you know so so that was my entry point was being anti-death penalty getting involved with people who work to end the death penalty in America and uh, you know in those early days I think I accepted the idea that for instance life without parole is an is a humane alternative to capital punishment um you know and things like that you know that you are that you hear that you are told that may make sense on the surface the more i be you know stayed involved with uh people who do justice work people who do defense work i learned that life without parole as it's doled out just wantonly in this country, can amount to the longest, slowest death sentence, the most painful death sentence a person can receive. And then, you know, the more that you stay involved with criminal justice, the more that you become very, it becomes very clear that justice is not blind, Mm -hmm. you know, that justice sees color, sees race, very vividly, that justice sees class very vividly uh et cetera et cetera it's it has it has all the social ills that the greater society has, you know, so it is not handed out evenly it is not you know some people's you know basically I think we all it would be hard to deny that um if you're poor and you are black and you kill one person, you make your life may be considered worthless and thrown away forever and uh if you are rich and you are white you can maybe devastate thousands and kill thousands with your actions with your lack of care and love and and understanding of your connection to other people and you may be greatly rewarded for that not you know not punished at all so We see these great inequities in our society. They play out in our criminal justice system. We see a human rights crisis of mass incarceration and all of these sort of uh, systematic abuses that start with the cop on the beat and end up with the electric chair. So, um, you know, that's sort of in the background of this prison music project is through telling these very immediate stories of these very real people. to also speak to the broader circumstance, you know, of mass incarceration of a justice system that is badly in need of reckoning.
2: You, you've even got uh, one artist a part of this. Uh, uh, forgive me, I'm blanking on his last name, but Spooner, right? And he's yeah, been yeah, Spoon Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Spoon's been uh, and he's been in the system for decades, and yeah. for a, a, as I read for. Uh, so much time beyond his early years he's been a basically a speaker and a peace activist yet is still i mean that that's got to be that story is it can't be just you know one unique thing that this is uh, it's probably something that happens over and over like when is enough enough
3: right right um
2: you're releasing this at a time when what the first two federal executions in forever have once again happened um I mean, you talk about, you know, the cop on the beat leads to the electric chair, or if you're George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, the cop on the beat leads to instant death. I know this isn't lost on you all, and and you're basically painting it out already, but releasing this now, was that part of the conversation? I mean, did you realize as it was coming out that this was going to be lined up in such a way? And, And what have those conversations been like? I mean, does the album speak to anything that you didn't expect it to?
1: you know it was the timing of the release had nothing to do with um you know the the uh the events in society around it it was 10 years leading up to it was going to come out this june and we were going to go on tour (laughs) and and uh play these songs in in real time for people and and talk to people about the project it's a not-for-profit record um, and the proceeds go to the Southern Center for Human Rights. So all of this was planned as a live in-person tour release, you know, your typical pre-pandemic uh, release. So um, then the way it all timed out was just extraordinary. I mean, I think it, It you know, just this um, civil uprising against mm-hmm. racial injustice, against the criminal injustice system, um, So it just makes me feel reassured, you know, that it, you know, this kind of, I think when serendipity happens in your life, it means you're in the flow, you know, that you are moving with how and with what you're meant to move with and that, you know, the universe is conspiring, you know, so I, it just felt, um, not surprising that this was, you know, after 10 years of work, that this was the stage that we, you know, rolled this project out onto. And
2: and as a lifelong activist, um, I don't know, it must be nice to see the citizen journalism um, bit take off here, because with cell phones, with live streaming, I mean, when you put When you put the power in the people's hands, I feel like I'm probably quoting something you've said in the past just naturally here. I mean, but the balance starts to find itself. I mean, that's, again, I'm asking as you as the lifelong activist, you know, what's it been like to see this movement transpire in the way it has?
1: Oh, I mean, just thrilling. Just, I mean, just hearing the words white supremacy come off the TV, come off, come out of people's mouths everywhere in mainstream culture. It's radical, radical stuff. I mean, in in that it's not radical stuff. It's, it's basic truth that has existed as long as our country has existed. What is radical is to hear the words spoken beyond, you know, our lefty, you know, whatever the, you know this the stereotype of the you know radical uh communist you know you know however we are pigeonholes at lefty extremists who are really just for many generations trying to you know stave the damage of Mm. things like white supremacy trying to speak to the reality trying to address and evolve this country to be what it purports to be so i find it really thrilling you know to hear white supremacy as a part of the dominant discourse as a part of our lexicon now and i think because i know that unless you can speak the words you first have to say the words you know to address the concepts and and therefore to evolve them to 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 really become accountable so just the hearing of those words beyond the radical left is really uh very hopeful you know and i and i i really do also hope that if we can start unpacking white supremacy and really addressing it we are walking ourselves back to being able to say patriarchy (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know in on the TV and talking about it every day as though it's the fundamental power imbalance that is affecting everything and from which we can simply not arrive at world peace, you know, so I feel like we're beginning to walk ourselves back as a society through, you know, uh, uh, a lot of the um, delusions and into the reality that can help us really start to move forward.
2: Right. And especially uh, again, uh, as we look towards November, um, you know, uh, not, not to push aside the album right here, but uh, again, with the timing, a lot of this speaks towards where we're going. Uh, I say that specifically in that the democratic candidate, uh, Joe Biden has promised that there would be a woman vice presidential candidate with him and has even alluded to several times that he would uh, uh, consciously be a one-term president. So to me, that's meant we're voting on her. That's who we're voting on this time around.
1: I'm thrilled at the idea that, you know, uh, we may have our first female vice president, uh, of course. And uh, I... I'm thrilled with the idea that Biden is approaching this uh, new um, challenge with humility. Mm -hmm. And I do, I do think that he would do very well to understand that this evolution is of a generation that is not his and that he should do a lot of listening and a lot of deferring and um, that feels like it's becoming the vibe of his campaign and i i really you know because i he was sort of last on my list of the democratic field um in terms of who i was excited about but i do feel he's a basically good person who basically uh, his basic motivation is to be a public servant and um so, I do hope he understands and and approaches yeah with that sort of humility and and deference to a new generation that is that is ready very ready to change the game um, and that he will be the he will be the facilitator of that, you know, but so I'm just gonna you know I mean, I guess I shy away from uh, you know focusing on. Uh, individuals and personalities in politics in favor of, you know, broader concepts and, you know, such as voting. Like, I think right now, what is epically important is to channel the righteous rage of the streets into the voting booths, you know, because we have nonviolent revolution at our fingertips, you know, it's called voter participation, you know, and I think if we all show up and we vote them out. All these people that we know to be extremely destructive to our liberty, our freedom, and our very democracy, we can be the change that we seek. You know, I think it starts with voting. So what what I mostly like to talk about, you know, in terms of voting is that, it, I guess, you know, in recent years, is to caution against the cult of personality. Mm-hmm. or even um, this sort of uh, recurring messaging that you hear about making your voice heard um, as though voting is a form of self-expression, because I think it's very frustrating and disappointing as a form of self-expression. I think that there are much more fabulous ways to express yourself that are available to us Americans. You know, you can go on YouTube and you know, dance naked for the world, you know, and right now. um, So why would voting hold any sort of weight in that delicious need of people and experience to show themselves and who they are and their vision of the world? You know, you can write a song, you can do so many, you can dye your hair pink or you can do so many fun things to express yourself and show the world yourself and put yourself out there. I think when it comes to voting, it would be expedient for us to talk about it in terms of a moment where we put ourselves and this hyper individualism and self-expression that, that anchors our American culture, when we put it down. And this is the moment when we recognize that we are a part of something bigger and that we have to serve it. You know, democracy is not a spectator sport. And even if it's, even if you don't get your ideal candidate who represents and embodies you and all that you want, uh, I think that showing up with, as a service to the collective Even if it's not satisfying, even especially when it's not satisfying and thrilling, that is when you're really doing your job as a citizen. Even if you only get the lesser of two evils, the lesser of two evils for somebody living very close to the line is life and death. Mm -hmm. You know, so you do it not for yourself and for your self-expression, but for all of us together.
2: You always say it perfectly. And, oh, sentiment there. and, and, and you know, I'll point out, um, you know, it lines up. When we started this series, it was the uh, Democratic primary day here in Kentucky when we started this live series on Consequence of Sound. And the debate, of course, that's going to continue to be the debate, I, I assume, for the next couple months is mail-in voting. We had the highest voting uh, amounts that we've ever had in our history uh, for for this kind of race, uh, which just goes to show. And I want to tie that back around and, and close out here uh, again with the this prison music project and the album Long Time Gone, because uh, I, I think the only thing we hadn't talked about here is part of the conversation is making sure these people that have been behind bars for whatever reason can vote. It seems like this is uh, and and it, this has it feels like it has more momentum than ever right now. But I mean, this is one of those things that could easily be a game changer for for so many states, you know, giving these people that voice again. Do you have a feeling if this is going to be something that um, is in place for this or, or the next election?
1: I have a feeling of great hope. You know, I, you know, certainly this pandemic has given extra weight and urgency to concepts like. Uh, mass incarceration I mean they 're not concepts it 's a reality you know this uh, i mean i 'll just say it fascist insurgency in our nation has given extra urgency to uh, issues like formerly incarcerated or or felons um, being given the right uh, to vote and participate in their democracy when they 're released. You know we have to be real about the fact that we've had a society that has locked up people willy-nilly uh many 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 people many non-violent criminals uh many um you know we make felons out of the guy next door every day in america especially if they have dark skin or if they have very little money so I think again it yeah it's you know it comes back to that same idea that just because you've been in prison doesn't mean that you are not smart that you are not good that your vote doesn't matter or that you shouldn't have a right after you certainly after you have done your time <laughs> at least and um paid your dues to uh be seen in your full humanity and participate um in in society fully so yeah there's there's a lot of people um amplifying you know these these crusades for justice um i i do see movement Mm. um i see more receptivity than ever before to these concepts again that have been around for a long time people have been fighting on these fronts for a long time so uh i think that there's a lot of receptivity and the time is now to make these changes
2: absolutely and and beyond all that it was just it's it's been a racist law the entire time if they wanted to suppress the black vote then they put the black people in the jails and then yes it is time to change that and i'm so happy
1: it is black and white you're you're so right
2: yeah uh, I'm, I'm always so thrilled to catch up with you. Uh, what you do is important work, and I thank you for that. I know we all thank you for that. And again, uh, everyone watching, listening, uh, please check out The Prison Music Project, this album, uh, Long Time Gone. Uh, again, uh, Anita Franco, Zoe Bookbinder. Am I saying her name right? Bookbinder. That's right, yeah. Uh, and, and putting the art out of so many voices that aren't being heard right now into songs that are just amazing. They're amazing songs. They oh,
1: really are. Cool, Kyle, thanks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a lot of, yeah, a lot of people beyond me and Zoe that, that made this record what it is and, um, oh, and I, I'll just tell you, um, now Zoe and I and some of the other writers who are still incarcerated are gonna collaborate on a stage play. <laughs> oh, cool. Using some of the material, building more musical material and telling the story of one of our collective and their experience with restorative justice. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful story. So, that'll be the next evolution of the Prison Music Project.
2: Yeah, and, and, and that's a term that everyone should look up restorative justice, uh, as well as the Breathe Act. I know we didn't get to talk about that as well, but that's definitely something everybody needs to check out as well. Uh, Ani, thank you so much. joining me on here today thank you my thanks again the prison music project The album is called Long Time Gone. Now, Ani and I have caught up uh, plenty of times over the past few years, so I'm going to include those three interviews here as well. And this first one goes back to 2018, when we were talking about the 20th anniversary of her 1998 LP, Little Plastic Castles, the album's lyrical response to her popularity at the time, as well as producing for Dan Byrne and appearing on King of the Hill. Uh, We also touch on the 25th anniversary of Puddle Dive, and the news at that point of her autobiography, part two of Kyle Meredith with Ani DeFranco.
3: Hey,
4: Kyle, it's Ani. How are you? Hi, I'm good.
2: Let's go back down that lane into the time machine, back to the, the big old year of 1998. I was just looking at, you know, what your life looked like on paper, at least, around that time, and it sort of looks insane, mm. uh, honestly, like mm. the amount yeah. that you were doing. That's
4: how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of the, the apex for me of 1998, of notoriety, fame, people at the shows, scale of the tours, you know, all over the world, lots of glamour in my face, you know, and, and um, yeah, that was that was the height of it, for sure. The, the record that we're talking about, Little Plastic Castle, seemed to be one that more people checked in with before than before or since. <laughs> right. Well, that's what,
2: you know, to, to talk yeah. about a record like this, you sort of have to talk about, you know, a, a bit of what led up to it, too, because, you know, you're, you're the, um, the the studio record that preceded this one. It, it had put you in a, in a larger spotlight. And obviously the live album mm-hmm. that came out in 97, you know, that is now mm-hmm. uh, what I read Rolling Stone calls it one of the essential releases of the 90s. Like it was such a big deal. Was this, was Little Plastic Castles sort of a reaction to the success that was going on? Because lyrically, that's sort of how it sounds still.
4: Yeah, totally. Yeah, you can hear the craziness of my life coming through the songs. In fact, so yesterday when I knew I was going to talk to you, I was like, oh, what is that record? I don't remember that record. So just for you, Kyle, I went (laughs) to try to go listen to it. I was like, how am I going to remember anything? Listen to it. Go listen to it. I listened to some of it <laughs> as much as you know my 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 emotional state could handle just to put me back in that place and I noticed exactly what you're saying a lot of reactions to this sort of fame and you know that sort of position of celebrity and a lot of critical you know, assessment and judgment by, you know, the the big, greater world. And, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, just living in a glass house, Little Plastic Castle, you know, it's, I'm in a fishbowl. Right. I'm literally in a fishbowl on the cover. So, yep, that's what my life uh, was feeling like. And, in fact, now that I'm remembering back, Little Plastic Castle was the record that, in which I decided to stop reading press about me.
2: Oh, that's smart.
4: Yeah, I realized, you know, when that record came out, and it's a bunch of songs that are reacting to the reactions to the reactions to the reactions (laughs) to me, I thought, well, this is an inward spiral, I just have to get out of it. And when that record came out, I, I deliberately did not read the critical assessment of it and i and i've sort of never gone back to you know taking all of that in because it's just too overwhelming well that's
2: interesting then because that's exactly what the reviews of this record were about it was the reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction because because, oh
3: wow because (laughs) what a lot
2: of them they it seemed like so many of them and i apologize i don't have the complete lyric in front of me but it had to do with you changing the shade of your lipstick was not, you know, uh, suddenly a voice for all of womankind. You know, it it wasn't like this movement every time that a magazine took a picture of you in a different, you know, style or whatever. And and that's what they centered it on. So, yeah, it was. It was just this...
4: Mm-hmm.
2: circle and circle.
4: Yeah, I, I, was, I, I was really struck at the time, and in retrospect, I, I still am, that when you get to that level of notoriety, like I was in in 1998, uh, people, and I don't know, maybe I'm unique, but the press, Sort of suddenly they assume because I'm famous now that everything I do is for the public. Everything is for them. Yeah, that this lipstick is my statement about something, about something, about an image that I'm projecting for them. You know, and I don't know if I'm just a simple person, simple minded, but I was still just living for me. Uh, That lipstick was because, I don't know, my friend said, hey, check this out. Or, Uh, I I really wasn't doing anything for image or, you know, all of that was kind of not in my mind. I'm a little more random about that and focused on my immediate, uh, my near and dear and my friends and my life in front of me. And then the sort of the public reaction to all that and all of this meaning that was foisted upon every little detail of me all of a sudden was... Kind of
3: artificial, <laughs> right? Like
4: well,
2: I can tell you, you know, growing up in rural Kentucky, that this is the album that was really my introduction to you. So it took a little while to get to me down mm-hmm. here, and I can I can remember I was in high school, and one of my best friends was sitting behind mm-hmm. me, and she said, "You got to hear this," and she puts the headphones over my ears, and it was the song Fuel. <laughs>
3: Me, oh, wow.
2: me not knowing any of the background of what we're talking about now, of course, there was no context of that. So it spoke to me in present day of everything else that was happening, mm. you know. And, and I think that's uh, uh, mm. that's probably what you're going to hope for. I mean, for songs for this specific to still find a way to relate, you know, to a 16-year-old yeah. guy in, in the middle of Kentucky, that's that's yeah. no small feat.
4: Oh, yeah, that's cool. and. Yeah, it's funny, when I was listening back to some of the stuff yesterday, that record, I was, another one of my memories of that album and that moment was that a lot of the audience that was familiar with me all along, you know, the, the sort of the core audience of, you know, feminists that had gathered around my work from the first album, that was the moment where they all said, Sell out. you're a sellout now, you've gone commercial, and Suddenly, Little Plastic Castle was too commercial for them, or it was a sign of that I was done. I was doomed to some, you know, rock star, superfluousness. Or so, And I, I was listening to it yesterday going, wow, this is, yeah, you know, this is me selling out. <laughs> still pretty individual and quirky and specific to me, you know, listening back.
2: Well, you know, sound-wise, and I, I can bring that up with sort of that in mind, because this was please welcome the brass you know here's the brass section and and uh-huh. you hear a you hear a song like deep dish which is basically a dance number and I, and that you know what i took from that yeah. you know so when they hear that they heard sell out what i took from that is you know under all this pressure it sounds like you still found a way to have fun
4: yeah totally i mean i had you know i had a big band um which means I was not touring alone anymore. You know, my early years were spent very solitary life, you know, traveling folk singer on her own a lot of the time or just with my drummer friend, Andy. You know, so but at this point, my audience has grown, the venues have grown. I, I had enough resources to hire a crew to help me out with sound, and and then I've got a band around me now. So I've got friends. I'm I'm traveling around the world with friends, and 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 we're having a lot of fun listening to music, experiencing the world together. So yeah, it was. There was a lot of joy, even though there was a lot of sort of pressure and definitely downsides to that kind of celebrity.
2: Do you remember writing that that song specifically, the uh, Deep Dish?
4: Deep dish, I, I kind of do. I, I can picture the bar in Chicago where it's sort of where the seed of the song came from. You know, I went went out to hear some blues, you know, at a, a, a Chicago, you know, electric blues. And um, oh, yeah. First, we literally had deep dish pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went out to a blues bar and danced. And I was hanging out with my band and Dan Byrne, a uh, folk singer at large. Don't know if you know mm-hmm. his work, but mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, you know, not not a deep meaning song, you know, but just, uh, yeah, a reflection of a good time.
2: Well, Dan Byrne, you know, I'll talk yeah. about some of the other things that was sort of happening that year because, again, what a whirlwind of a period uh you produced a Dan burn record that year as I read,
4: yeah, oh, was it that same year yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. we were hanging out a lot, and he asked me, you know, bless him to to produce his record that he had was writing at the time, and I you know, I hope I did him justice, you know in retrospect i I think why, you know, I mean I was. You know, I I don't come from recording and producing and mixing. But for some reason, my personality was like, oh, I can do this. I don't need anybody, you know. <laughs> and that's one thing. That's one thing to have that ethic with your own music. But then to <laughs> step into the producing and mixing chair for somebody else that early on, you know, I mean, I hope I did Dan's tunes justice on that 50, 50 Eggs record. He's such a great songwriter and performer. And-
2: you were also on King of the Hill. In ninety
4: eight. Yeah,
3: yeah. What, what yeah, was, was I think it you
4: that were was the beginning and the end of my voiceover work, however.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. I, I remember the episode. I remember seeing it, but for the life of me I can't remember what your character was at the moment.
4: I think it was basically supposed to be me. It was a guitar teacher for That's what it. it was the guitar, you know, the young punky chick guitar teacher for the kid yes.
2: yeah yeah that's a nice classic episode uh i'll also say somehow in all of this you got married that year too and that's maybe right. the part of this that sounds the most incredible that you know in all of this you went <laughs> and we're going to do this like ha- did that yeah. did that play against uh, or with everything else that you were doing Does, did that sort of also seem part of the whirlwind
4: yeah i mean <laughs> fellow that I married had been touring with me for years. He was the first when I sort of got enough resources to hire, you know, a sound guy. That was what I desperately needed in life. You know, all those early years working with the house sound guy every night, it was a struggle. Boy, they did not appreciate my ideas about the acoustic guitar. <laughs> Everywhere I went, it just, I made people angry, telling them I want all the high end to go away and I want the low end to feel like a Mack truck, you know, and it's a little chick with an acoustic guitar and they just all folded their arms and shook their heads at me like, no, mm. you know, so it was it was hard trying to interface every day with a resistant fella behind the soundboard. So finally, I was like, Oh, I can get my own sound guy. And I hired goat and goat started touring with me and Andy, my drummer, and we fell in love. And it was, you know, an unfortunate thing in that he had a partner. I kind of had a partner, you know, so it was a lot of drama, you know, that, that, that manifested into records like dilate, you know, and then when we finally came through it and, you know, extricated ourselves from our relationships and got together. It was such a relief as anybody who's been in this experience knows it was just instant. Let's get married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we did it. We came through the fire. Let's get married. And yeah, we did that too. Right in that swirl. Yeah.
2: I've sort of lived a similar uh, situation that, so I do understand completely mm. <laughs> minus mm. the uh, sound man and guitar mm. and all that part of it. But yeah, the broad strokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after all was said and done Glass House ends up being Grammy nominated. I think this was your second time getting Grammy nominated at that point. So mm. I don't know I don't know how much you know weight you give that but it, you know it would seem like there is at least some like with all the criticism that may or may not be happening at the time that there is at least some reassurance there that you know you're doing good things, you're doing great things. Did it does it come off yeah, like that?
4: Yeah. I mean, well, I'm not. I can't really remember what it felt like at the time. Uh, You know, probably pretty surprising. Looking back, it seems even more surprising to me. I mean, not to flag the Grammy thing, but you know, we we all sort of know that that's an industry game. You know, the, the Grammys and. And the people who vote for the Grammy winners are label people, you know. So obviously the big labels with the big artists that have a thousand in-house people to vote, it's sort of the top of the pops, is rules the Grammys. And for me to come totally from the outside with none of this, I don't know, to even be nominated in the sort of in the industry world when I'm not really in it. You know was kind of a coup and so that was yeah it was definitely very affirming you know to be sort of recognized in that in pop culture even though i was kind of a, a an outsider coming
1: in All right.
4: yeah i mean i don't know who the heck nominated me you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know i must have been i must have been making a bit of noise out there so. yeah
2: and uh and rightfully so i will say I want to bring up a, a couple of um, lyrics from actually a previous record, Puddle Dive, which uh, came out in 93 on its oh, wow. 25th anniversary. But I, I was listening to that one, too, and, and I heard egos like hairdos, and it has the line, uh, the press will fatten you up and then dig in. And And, and I thought, <laughs> how prophetic was mm-hmm. that, that you hadn't yet exactly mm-hmm. lived through that, you know, and yet
4: mm-hmm. you, you
2: already had your sights on it.
4: Yeah, it's funny. You know, I songwriting for me has always been kind of prophetic, like I write things and not know they just come from my little spleen and I write them and then sometimes I look at them and I think, what does that even mean? I don't know. And then, you know, a year or two later, I, I go, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, that's I'm living it now. It's interesting how I that has happened. You know, to me, it just speaks to this kind of. Um, you know, other plane that art exists on or comes from, you know, that is sort of deeper than our conscious mind. And, And to me, it just speaks to sort of this mysterious aspect of being conscious where you you know much more than you're thinking, you yeah, know, there's yeah. stuff that you know, subconsciously that that is pretty deep and wide. And if you can access it, there's information there, you know, and art is a way of doing that. But yeah, I totally agree. It's like, how how would I have known anything about that situation yet? Except you sort of do you, you know, what's coming, you f- you know more than you know.
2: And certainly it lined up that way. Uh, and, and there's another one from that album yeah. that plays uh, into more present day, um, Blood in the Boardroom. You said, I can make life. Wow. I can make breath. And I thought that came back around when when Play God ended up being mm. a song. It, it sort of found its uh, its seed again. And, and Play God ends up being one of my all favorite songs of yours of all time so it's kind of
3: yeah
4: well first of all bless your heart for diving right back into puddle dive <laughs> and blood in the boardroom that is not music for the faint of heart who <laughs> are an honorary feminist avenger sir I'll take it um, but yeah uh, yeah I mean I guess yeah re- very early on I had that kind of instinctual sense of yeah these sort of powerful men you know with, with power and money and position you know that's one kind of power but I was trying to pit this feminine power of, yeah, you know, you can control a lot of stuff, including death, you know, in this culture, in this political landscape, but, but I can make life, you know, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> you know.
2: I mean, that's the most yeah. powerful of all powerful things, the creation of life. Mm. And you think that, um, mm.
3: yeah, you think yeah.
2: that my gender would have figured that out by now, but, uh, not so
3: much,
2: <laughs> not so much. Well,
4: we have to We have to get back to it. We've told ourselves a lot of different stories in the meantime. But, you know, if you go back to like the first expressions of art, you know, the first human renderings and sculpture, you see this goddess this fertile goddess figure, you know, with these big boobs and this big belly, Uh, you know, it's the symbol of creation, you know, it's like the miracle that we still speak of the miracle of birth and creation. And that is the thing that we first expressed our reverence to, you know, humanity, you know, and since then, it's gotten a little Patriarchal, but you know, we're all bit. still here. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> patriarchal, but it seems like, yeah, that the, there is that the times are a change in right now. Yeah,
2: well, that uh, certainly leads into the, uh, the midterm elections are coming up, and I, and I have to imagine that. You know, that's on your mind.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm about to go back on tour and stomp around talking about voting, just trying to inspire people back into the voting booth. I just i am so, so convinced that the voting booth is where we enact the revolution. It's mm-hmm. as easy as that. It's so much easier than we think, you know, we're all sitting around pulling our hair out. What can I do? It's all so overwhelming. It's all gone so terribly wrong. You can show up on voting day and pull a few levers. It takes 10 minutes. I mean, you do have to get yourself registered and you do have to find a way to show up for 10 minutes on voting day. But that is all it takes. You know, if, if we all voted, all of us that that could boy we'd have a beautiful new game
2: i mean it's it's been said many times that you know republicans didn't put trump in office and democrats didn't put trump in office and women or men didn't put trump in office it was the people who didn't vote who put trump in office yeah you know so yeah
4: i mean we've had it you know it's it's, it's not, it's not accidental that we are in this situation. Certainly, you know, I'm a child of the, well, I, luckily I was born in 1970. So I had the uh, seventies for formative years to feel this kind of uh, America that is kind of gone now, but I, I, and then the eighties, you know, boom, comes in Reagan, the me generation. It was the mind meld of, Just go shopping. You know, it was the the generation where the the cultural revolution was, you are consumers, not citizens. You are consumers, not citizens. You are, you know... Mm -hmm and it, it affected us. It affected young people. There was a real sort of lag of, of, of political activism, of, you know, there was a kind of a break in a lot of the social movements, you know, and there was this, you know, the me generation was sold to us, and uh, um, a lot of people bought in, so to speak. But I think we're finally waking up from that lie that actually happiness is not gotten through buying stuff we need to find each other again
2: I certainly hope so I, I feel that wave as well I just I want to see it crest mm. now you know I want to see that wave finally yeah. break I, I know you know binary is is barely a year old I think but uh, you know I will ask do you know what your next move is at this point
4: well, I've been I spent the last year and a half writing a book. I don't know if I mentioned that when I was with you, but it's done. I wrote it. I wrote a book, past tense. Um and I'm just waiting for it to get pushed into a little book form and it's going to come out in the spring. So yeah, that's my new trick.
3: Um, that's your new trick. Wow. You know, that, this is the life sentences. story?
4: Complete sentences. Yeah, a <laughs> memoir. Memoir with a lot of pontification, you know me. A lot of just what is in my mind, yeah. you know, uh, and what I can remember. So, yeah, it's sort of a lot of going back to the, you know, the era of Little Plastic Castle and the whole ride of the 90s, you know, from my seat on the roller coaster, you know.
2: You've got a uh, you've got a hell of a story. I, I can't wait to read it and uh, and take that trip with you then.
4: Yeah, uh, that'll be a new trip for me. You know, going to bookstores. Right. And, you know, I don't know what happens when you release a book, but it'll be a new. A new game.
2: Well, I can't wait to uh, to see that happen and, and to experience that as well with you. Ani, thanks so much, as always, for uh, for doing this. Uh, you know, I'm always such a big fan, yeah. and I really appreciate it.
4: Oh, Kyle, nice to talk to you, always. Thanks so much to you.
2: All right, Ani, uh, we'll you see you around. Help. Thank you. All right, bye. All
4: right, cool, bye.
2: A 2018 interview now. We'll go back one year further than that, 2017. This finds us talking about uh, her record Binary that had just come out, uh, writing about motherhood, going inward, her personal life. She had rekindled the fire that made her an activism force to be reckoned with for the past, you know, several decades. Uh, We got into reproductive freedom, criminal justice, all set to the rhythms and sounds that echoed her uh, New Orleans surroundings. Part three of Ani DeFranco.
4: Hey, Kyle, it's Ani calling. How are you? Hi, I'm good.
2: How are you doing? I'm I'm well. I'm a uh, Binary Yay. What a great record. <laughs> yay.
4: Oh, cool. Binary Yay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, a way <laughs> that's to my favorite review. That's it. Yeah. That's you can put
2: that on your uh your press sheet right there. Binary yeah, Yay, Kyle Meredith.
3: <laughs> is this uh I,
2: I don't know if you keep count. Is this album nineteen or twenty? Because I've seen it both ways. And one seems like a big milestone.
3: No. Oh, really? Yeah. Somebody
4: said twenty-one to me the other oh, day. See, so obviously counting is not for the artistic, mm, <laughs> the none creative. Of us. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go with twenty. I like the round number vibe.
2: All right, and we can keep saying twenty until it's not, if it if it's we need how to. Well
4: it's true because it's the age of say it, and it
3: is true. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I guess the way to, to start then is is kind of looking back at that last album because. It almost seemed like you were afforded, I don't know, a quick breather with the last record as, as far as, as tackling things. And, and, and there were some things on there, mm-hmm. but but the bigger mm-hmm. picture stuff. And, and maybe now it was time to get back, I don't know, on the warpath. <laughs> is, is that yeah. accurate?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the album before this one came, you know, over the span of a baby coming yeah. into the world and... Than having an infant in my life so that's just naturally an inward looking time you know you're just grappling with you know wiping butts and <laughs> and nursing and all of that stuff and then you come back out into the world you know the ebb and flow of life
2: right and there's so many targets for subject matter uh, at, at this point i mean do you let them <laughs> really? come to you or do you do you go hunting and, and start chiseling like how do, how do I mean, you, I yeah. guess
4: I'm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm blessed with like an overactive spleen. I don't. I don't know if "blessed" is the word.
0: <laughs>
4: but I'll tell you, every Eastern medicine, you know, healer person that I've ever seen, you know, like Chinese doctor, you you they, the first thing you do is stick out your tongue, and the second thing that happens is they say, "Oh, you don't sleep." <laughs> Mm, you worry your spleen, <laughs> your spleen. pooh, pow! <laughs> I'm like yep, that's me. So you know things just affect me, and many of them are you know outside of my personal sphere. I've never really been able to draw clear lines, you know, between my personal life and the life of my society. It seems like I'm always perilously in step, you know, right up to and including this recent uh you know implosion <laughs> <laughs> everything is upside down nobody knows what happens next and it, and the time is now to to talk to address to to act
2: yeah it's still i know a lot of these songs were you know they were written before the election uh w- which seems to be the case with with a lot of artists so mm-hmm. i mean at that point it's not like the conversations weren't already there they just hadn't become mm-hmm. as heightened as they are now once the record is out. I mean, isn't it one of those things where you're writing these songs, the election hasn't happened, so you're pulling off campaign rhetoric and, and just the issues of the day, which there were more than enough mm-hmm. you know, things to tackle, but, but suddenly it, it all does happen, and this album, unfortunately, has to make even more sense. Yeah,
4: right. right. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, a song like Play God, you know, like you say, these issues are always happening, you know, like reproductive freedom for women. Hello? Today? How about tomorrow? How about, you know? So I write this kind of anthemic song about reproductive freedom as a civil right, which is how I see it. And, and I think I'm under the impression that this song will be coming out in the first year of, you know, our first female president, you know, our first female in the Oval Office, and I'm thinking, all right, now is the time we're gonna we're gonna write this amendment to the Constitution. We're gonna, uh, you know, I've actually been calling a bunch of my genius feminist lawyer friends, and we're trying to get a coalition together to start forming the language and let's try to articulate this vision of what, what we mean when we say reproductive freedom is a civil right. And let's write this amendment and let's, let's talk about it. Maybe somebody in the Oval Office who can talk about it in the first person is all the momentum we're going to need. And then lo and behold, actually, you, like you say, maybe all of this work needs to be done even more now, of course, because mm-hmm. it's 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 a crisis situation.
2: You just never get the chance. You know, I, I say that last album was a chance to breathe, but you just never really get the chance to breathe. Right. Right. I mean,
4: yeah, in this world, right, you have to have to take your chance to breathe and hope that when you're done breathing, the world you love still exists. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> and I, I don't know, like the way you talk about this is it really leads into that next thought I had, because it's one thing to talk about the big issues, but when you're a songwriter, you, you also want to make it personal um, to the listener and to you, uh, I guess, to make it effective. And, and that's, that's what I go after, you know, mm-hmm. reproductive rights, um, uh, you know, it's a topic we're on. But, but even for the other things, like to grab those issues that are personal to you and not just the big thoughts. How mm-hmm. important is that for you as a songwriter?
4: Well, I think it's super important, yeah, for art to connect, that it be coming from someplace very deep you know uh which is to say and i think it's in that super deep place that you connect with the universe outside yourself that you tap into you know the one the one love <laughs> the one consciousness that there is so yeah like it's funny i you know, I get whatever uh, described or introduced. I was just in New York doing a lot of stuff and and having and somebody introduced me on stage again the other night. And they talk about you know often it's the way people describe my politics and my work and my art. They they notice the feminism. They notice the. Queer politics, that always gets brought up. Entrepreneur is a word that haunts me and follows me around. I still don't get that one. Um, and oftentimes it comes before activist in the lists of what I am, which just makes me crazy. and but and then, but nobody ever says criminal justice, which has been such a huge, I mean, it's factored into my songs. It's factored into my activist life hugely. But because it doesn't fit that kind of stereotype of me, it gets, Mm -hmm. it goes unnoticed. But um, yeah, criminal justice is something that I've been made aware of very early on because my manager was a criminal defense lawyer. Before he was my manager, and all of his friends, and all of the community of the anti-death penalty and um, prisoners' rights stuff, and. On this new record, there's a song "Terrifying Sight," which is very much about that, about the criminal injustice system in our country and mass incarceration, and and it's also very personal because, well, I have a friend now who's on who's who's was given a life in you know uh, without parole sentence at the age of 19. Um, I met him through this record that I've been working on for years called the Prison Music Project, which is going to come out later this year. And it's all songs written by dudes in prison, most of them lifers. And the one that I sang on the record is by this fellow, Spoon Jackson. And he's become my pen pal, and we talk on the phone all the time. And he's been living in a cage for 39 years for a murder he committed when he was 19. But even guilty as he was of the crime, um, you know, he's a completely transformed human being. He has paid his debt to society many times over he's a peaceful very thoughtful beautiful human being now with no recourse for mercy it's just and and it and it you know like like we're talking about very personally directly constricts my heart to have him as a friend and to just feel what it must be like to be him and living in a cage and no there's no no one will recognize your humanity (laughs) or your you know your your need to to be to be free now um after having you know evolved and and really rehabilitated uh, which is supposedly the idea of prison so anyway yeah it's like you gotta you gotta you gotta care about things and and take them into yourself and live them and feel them with people and then you can write about them that way
2: yeah yeah i didn't know that part of the story and 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 you're right i mean as soon as you said that that's that's exact same thing that i thought It's like you put them in there and and everyone says to rehabilitate them but they don't ever want to see them again mm. you
3: know mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and even
2: the ones that aren't that aren't um proven guilty or whatever i mean uh, you know we heard a few things uh about a few years ago was it was the memphis three uh was memphis three or memphis five whatever it was but uh you know the kids are just and they end up all getting out because of one of these compilations you know one of these compilations shed the light on it and suddenly you know puts the conversation i know there's so many people that don't get that opportunity that don't get the spotlight to to come their ways i know
4: to think about it yeah one of the organizations i'm involved with is the Innocence Project, which has a New Orleans chapter down here where I live. And it's amazing how many innocent men are in prison, you know, or on death row or, you know, get executed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's an imperfect system, which is one of the major reasons why I think capital punishment is, is a crime and should be abolished because, you know, our government literally executes innocent men just because people would rather have Somebody go down for a crime, right. then you know, admit that no, we couldn't find the guy. So you just, you know, you find another guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's very humbling. It's very humbling once you really start going into the world of prison and c- criminal justice. And uh, boy, it makes me, it makes me look in the mirror and go, don't you ever complain ever again. Right.
2: <laughs> Well, I know you've been thanked many, many times for you know your activism and 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 everything that goes along with that. But you know, in, in moments like this, I'll thank you again for putting that spotlight oh, on yeah. things like this. So, yeah. And and I'll and I'll briefly switch gears here to to also bring up the music because the the play on this record is outstanding. Uh, oh the Musicianship. Yeah. Cool. And, and and I noticed that it feels like there is a bit you know, your environment. New Orleans did make it onto this record, especially when you drop a yeah, name like Neville into the guest list. Like yeah, how could it not? Really. Did did you Can't want it to it. yeah, did you want it to sound like uh, a bit more New Orleans this time around?
4: Um, you know, none of none of these none of what I do these days is really calculated. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've I've grown beyond that. I just follow. I just, you know, there's somebody, the muse drops the breadcrumbs or something, and I just follow them. And I have no idea. I I used to sort of come to an album with a plan or an idea, and after 20 records, or 19 or 21 or whatever, (laughs) I realized, like, that's just silly, you know, because the process and the moment and the interactions overwhelm any kind of plan as they should, you know, and they, they have a plan all of their own. So, yeah, I mean, I guess really just what happened is, uh, you know, my drummer of these last bunch of years now is Terrence Higgins. He's born and bred in new Orleans and, you know, it's in his DNA, you know, the sort of the rhythms of this place, they come out, you know, of him, you know, fully formed And, um, yeah, and Ivan Neville is somebody that I've been playing more and more with the last few years. I think, you know, a bunch of years ago, I called him up to just, uh, you know, overdub on some stuff I was working on. And, it you know, my jaw just drops every time he plays. I I actually roped him into doing a little tour with me last year. And there's just he just brings the spirit every time. He's just such a startlingly deep musician so you know yeah this time out i just i had him in at the bed track sessions you know i'm like give me a three-day window (laughs) (laughs) i want to make a record with you you know so ivan and terrence are you know right there along with todd sickapooth as the sort of the bed the beds of this record so there's that's two-thirds new orleans right there Mm
2: -hmm. And it, it it does it the, the guest list is fantastic and it makes for yeah. a really really good record. I'll, I'll go ahead and say again, yay binary. So it's uh... <laughs> yeah, it's
4: cool. I'm pretty I'm pretty yay about it myself. I mean, yeah. you can't go wrong. I mean, that's my my oblique strategy worked for me at least. You know, inviting all these killer musicians and elevated spirits into the party with me on this record. It's like how could I how could I not love it? Too right, right. I've I've discovered the way to love my own record. <laughs>
3: <laughs> have
2: everybody else come Invite on and "Invite so. your friends." Right. Yeah. I think that's a motto for life in general. So.
3: Yeah. Amen. Invite
2: your friends. All right, Ani. It's so great to talk to you again. Um, well, hopefully we'll see you around these parts in Louisville eventually. But uh, if not, have a great uh, have a great summer.
4: Oh, Kyle. Thanks. So nice to talk to you too.
2: All right. I'll see you. Take care. All right. All
3: right okay. Bye. bye.
2: And now we'll round it up with a, a 2016 interview. This might have been the first time we've met. Uh, she uh, she called in to talk about her 2016 Vote Damn It Tour and the politics that went along with it. So let's get into this one. Part four of Kyle Meredith with Ani DeFranco.
4: Hi, Kyle. I'm good. How are you doing?
2: I'm, I'm doing all right. We're excited to have you back in town.
4: Oh, cool. Excited to come back on the road. Yeah. See some of the great south southeast <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: good well we are excited to have you uh, back up here in Louisville for the uh, the vote damn it the vote damn it I, it's there's a certain function right. you have to hit on that the vote yeah, damn it. I, yeah
4: that's right <laughs> get in the spirit <laughs> yep uh, yeah i mean we i started doing um vote damn it themed tours um i think in 2000 and then again in two thousand four and just you know trying to get uh... voter participation or, or or help you know inspire a conversation about if we don't participate then you know c- corruption and and very undemocratic things ensue
2: and, and it's more yeah, than I, what you're talking about is more than just the presidential race too, right?
4: It, yeah exactly i mean that of course is as crucial as ever right now we have we can't complain that we have two shades of gray to choose from (laughs) because we really do have a, a stark difference between our presidential candidates but also we have so many congressional uh... races that are you know as important and you know we've we've all seen i think in the obama years that even the most well-meaning president is sort of powerless if you have a a congress that's stacked with extremists and roadblockists you know right. so that's in a- order for us to get anything done and move this country forward i think we have to take all these races real seriously
2: yeah i don't know if you followed uh... kentucky politics at all but uh... we're having our own problem when for the governor race i think only twenty percent uh... Of folks showed, uh, showed up yeah
4: yeah, I mean, and meanwhile, I think if we all just knuckled down and exercise our right to vote, you know, which was the the brilliant thing about the first rounds of of vote dammit tours that we did years ago, which we we haven't got revamped, so I shouldn't even talk about it. But there was a a great slideshow in between the sets that talked about voter history and you look for a minute at how hard fought the right to vote is was for so many people and then the idea of squandering it becomes that much more ludicrous you know we're blessed to live in a democracy and you know we should jump at the chance to empower ourselves and and make our our own choices and make the government really represent us you know i I, I was looking up the Kentucky races, you know, in anticipation of talking to you, and I didn't really delve deeply into the candidates. Uh, but the first thing I noticed was in the Republican column how the funding of the campaigns was five, six the times as much as in the Democratic categories, you know. So that right there is uh, a red flag, you know. It just shows us how much... We have to counteract with our own energy the power of money and business.
2: Yeah, it it seems a lot of the time, you know, uh, it it comes down to apathy on a lot of people's parts, which, you know, for what you're doing out there seems the perfect sort of inspiration because, because I would assume, like, you know, the crowd that you're talking to is probably on your side. Uh, of the dot yeah yeah you know so you know uh-huh. maybe you know yeah. i wouldn't really call it preaching to the choir because it's not that you're mm. because it seems like what you're trying to do is inspire those people to take those ideas exactly. those like-minded ideas and run yeah. With it.
4: yeah you took the words out of my mouth inspire the choir to sing louder <laughs> to sing to sing their own you know of themselves i mean i think that's really all i've been trying to say in all of these songs over the years is just you, you, you have the power to become yourself, you know, you, you, you can not only make your own answers, you can make your own questions, you know, find your own questions, because often I feel like that's the problem with me and the world, my sort of feeling like a, a square peg in a round hole in this world is, is I think often we're asking the wrong questions, so the debates are they never hit the mark <laughs> mm-hmm. you know anyway i'm i digress but yeah i think just inspiring each other is is what's so important if you make yourself stronger then people will come to you
2: <laughs> as a uh, you know as someone who who's sang a lot of protest songs over the years uh you, we're all frustrated but I, I would start to wonder like you know you've kind of made this your job and is it even more frustrating that here we are 25 years later and you're still having to sing protest songs. You know, I was listening to uh, Take Down Your Flag just the other day and, you know, I, I would, that's mm-hmm. thats a song that I hope you would never have to sing again, you know?
4: Yeah, I know, I know. I, I've been re-visiting uh, a song from, uh, let's see, 1999, mm-hmm. I think, called To The Teeth and playing it on stage and it's basically a, a song about how far gone we seem to be with this culture of guns and this again strong business lobby that goes against an overwhelming opinion in among citizens that we should have more regulation and it just you know i I stand on stage every night and say okay i'm going to play a sixteen-year-old song when the violence the gun violence seemed overwhelming then Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how we acclimate and 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 deny and excuse. It's yeah, it does get kind of hard sometimes yeah. <laughs> to to keep trying to feel it all and um, you know, be present in it all. Yeah, I
2: would um, you know, I don't think it's too personal here, but I know you have kids, and and you know, yeah, as, as a protest singer, like, how do you talk to your kids about? What like Orlando or, or, or any of these like do, is there a conversation that you're having that you're that you're putting out there for them?
4: I mean, my oldest is is only nine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's, uh is not privy to the daily news, um, but we, you know, things have started to come up, you know, like we went to a. I brought her to a protest and uh against you know police brutality in new orleans and and you know she, mommy what does hands up don't shoot mean right. and you know what is this about and it's started an ongoing conversation about racism and it's so it's you know it just it having kids you know it makes it puts it all right into the ludicrousy that it is you know right. <laughs> trying to explain Something like racism to a child is like you know just the yeah, it's the most <laughs> ludicrous and sickening act as a parent
2: I've never thought of it like I, I have a son and he's the same age uh, as your daughter, and i, I kind of go through, uh-huh. it, but I've never thought of it in that exact same way right there, like because it is when you're explaining it, it's like this is insane that this exists,
4: yeah I'm having to say this. yeah, and then and then you're afraid that you're beginning the process that we mm-hmm. were talking about, or i you know with guns where of, of Acclamation to to insanity, you know. Accepting, I mean, that's one thing that I try to hold on to in my life and in my work is that is that initial outrage I felt as a young person about things like war. You know, I just mm-hmm. seemed inexcusably insane, and you know, I, I want to hold on to that feeling. I have a song somewhere along the way about you know, I will maintain the truth I knew naturally as a child, you know, and you want that for your kids, too, so it's hard to explain the actual world.
2: Right. <laughs> and now looking back on your, your last record with Allergic to Water, you know, you, you're, you, as you talk about, you know, holding on, trying to f- regain these feelings and everything, but but in a, in, a, in a totally different sense, like you are in a different part of your life th- than you were then. Allergic mm-hmm. to Water isn't, you know, the standard protest album. It's, it's sort of a love album. It's got very sensual mm-hmm. moments on it, even sexy moments on mm-hmm. it, all, you know, all of this musically. You know, when you're, when you're Ani DeFranco and you're a protest singer, but you it seems like you're in a period of your life where maybe you want to be something else.
4: Oh, yeah, well, I just am something else, like you have noticed, you know, it's, I had a a baby, you know, that's three now, but over the course of making that record, I was pregnant, and then I was, had a newborn, and that's certainly a time when you go inward, you know, as a family, as a, and um, so, yeah, there's a lot of songs that come from inside that bubble, and over the years, you know, my life takes different shape like anybody's life. Sure. And sometimes I'm looking outward and I'm addressing my society and sometimes I'm going inward. And it used to be, you know, that people would jump on me immediately for changing <laughs> <laughs> one degree left or right, you know. And But I, I, at least I hope that over as time goes on that people... You know, understand for me as well as for themselves as we get older, you know, that things ebb and flow, that the things that you're paying attention to shift and where you're putting your energy shifts, and, and that's as it should be, you know.
2: Right. D- does it ever feel like, though, that uh, maybe that you're dragging your history with you at times when you don't want to?
4: Oh, it does sometimes, you know, but I, uh, it's. It, it's pretty easy for me to come back to a place of gratitude, you know. I I look around, and I think, wow, I have a cool job. It has its downsides, (laughs) but if you ever hear me complaining, smack me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, it has been uh, just two years since Allergic to Water, but I think I read that your new album is sort of done?
4: Yeah, it's sort of done, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows now that I'm on kid time how long the last, Five percent takes, but, um, I'm hoping to have it done in the fall and maybe out in the new year. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be out in this year, but that's looking a little squeezy, (laughs) but yeah, it's there. The songs are there and, um, there's, there's a lot of, I guess, whatever, it's my grab bag of big, big P politics. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that I have a strong desire to engage society about, (laughs) um, uh, maybe you know now my kid is is out of diapers so <laughs> i'm back in the ring
2: <laughs> <laughs> well what about the sounds because you're always kind of playing with with sounds uh you know which are catching oh, your yeah. song these days
4: well this new record has a lot of great players on it that's the really standout thing that's going to be happening here is My band is so amazing these days with Todd and Terrence, who will be with me in Louisville. Mm -hmm. And then Ivan Neville plays on half the record and Jenny Scheinman, this beautiful violinist, and others. I sort of made a few phone calls this time around and reached out to... I, I realized I have all these incredibly talented friends. You know, I should call them. And so there's a lot of... Uh, little guest appearances on this new record, too, which are pretty cool. Yeah. Many spirits flying flying through.
2: Well, yeah. I can't wait for the new record and, more importantly, I'm so excited to see you uh, this coming Monday here in Louisville. So, uh Sweet. Arnie, thank you so much for taking the time.
4: Thank you. My pleasure. All right, we'll All right see you Kyle. Soon. Take All right. care. You too. Okay, bye.
2: Bye. There you have its 2016 interview with Ani. Again, seek out the Prison Music Project and the album Long Time Gone for what Ani's up to now. So a big thanks to Ani and a big thanks to you for checking out this episode. Before you get out of here, again, I I hope you uh, subscribe to this podcast so you can keep up with all of your favorite artists. Uh, Discover the new ones. Know what's happening in the music world. Uh, Brand new interviews put out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can find us at all the major podcast hotspots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, youtube or wherever you like to get your podcast from after that head to wfpk.org where i do a show monday through friday at 6 p.m eastern an hour full of song premieres music news anniversary spins and bonus interviews that's wfpk.org monday through friday at 6 p.m eastern consequence of sound they've got your music and film news you can also find me on the social medias facebook twitter instagram all of them at kyle meredith and that does it for another edition i'm kyle meredith and i'll see you next time Consequence Podcast Network.
0: I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be the Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music, speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at ConsequenceOfSound.net. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.